This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk back again with you guys for another show for another episode of our TGT podcast, our weekly show after the week's events surrounding the latest Arsenal fixture where we have a chat with our podcast regulars about what's been going on in the world of the Gunas. Very happy to be joined by a fantastic panel of guests. Before we introduce you though, please do make sure you drop a like on today's video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Let's bring in first of all, Owen, how you doing mate? Are you well? Are you good? I'm good, buddy. We're slowly approaching the summit of the ever-changing roller coaster of emotions that is being an Arsenal fan. But at yeah. present, everything's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, we could be talking in a week's time, and it's absolutely awful. Which uh, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, fingers crossed, uh, we can see something even more positive than we what we've already experienced, which would be quite some achievement. Um, also joined by Jared. How are you, doing, fellow? Are you well? Are you good? Doing good. It's a good week to be an Arsenal fan, like you said. I'm. Glad to talk about it and uh, enjoy it while we can. We're also going to be joined by John. Unfortunately, he's having some technical difficulties, uh, which unfortunately means that he might not be on with us, uh, annoyingly. But uh, there's nothing we can do when the uh, the technical gods look down badly on someone. Uh, same as with Drew, unfortunately, today he is away uh, with family. Uh, I mean, I thought we were family, but apparently there are greater priorities in his life other than us three, which is. I know, a shame, but we take it on the chin and we move forwards. And that's what you need to do. And that's certainly what Arsenal did uh, after their losses against Manchester United. Everton have obviously come back very strongly. Hopefully, TGT can do the same. Owen, give me your raw reactions to the win over Leeds United. Yeah, well, I suppose it's just one of the main things that I've been looking for throughout the entirety of the season is consistency. That's something that um, I think that we certainly lacked under Mikel Arteta. Um, also, another thing that I've been looking out for is some sort of stylistic identification in terms of what our attacking outlet is going to be like, what our attacking style is going to be like. And I think we're starting to find both in sort of um, 
in a matter of a few games, we're starting to see consistency develop in, in, in an identity of how we attack and how we are trying to break down teams, um, which is very, very positive. Uh, for me, coming off, obviously, the Liverpool uh, game, the Man United game, and then the Everton game, obviously, everything was, was sitting pretty low, but I had always said that I wanted to give Arteta till Christmas and see where he is. And, and at the moment... Um, with the way things are going on the pitch and, and the way we're climbing the table where we're sitting at the minute, um, you'd have to say that things are going pretty good. Uh, one thing I will say is that I think the commentary, look, we all know the media bias when it comes to Arsenal. Um, we get overlooked, we get we get tra- trampled upon when things aren't going well. And then when we do well, people are quick to come up with excuses. And it was that there was so many injuries to Leeds. But when you looked around, there was still a lot of experience within that Leeds side. I think their average age, whilst they were playing the kids, was still a higher average age throughout their starting 11 than ours was. Um, but look, all in all, a very, very good performance, I think. Uh, but they were Leeds were desperate defensively. And I'm sure we're going to get on to some individual performances and key players that I think absolutely rattled that back line. Um, but I would say, if anything, as much as I'm, as much as I'm overjoyed by the performance of Arsenal and picking up those points, I was sort of disappointed by Marcelo Bielsa, you know, an absolute veteran of the game, someone that so many um, esteemed coaches look to as inspiration. And for me, I'm not sure whether we're seeing the fall of a giant there, Marcelo Bielsa, because. I don't know. If I was a Leeds fan, I wouldn't have been singing and jumping about um, uh, towards the end of that 90 minutes like they were. So, fair play to them, in a sense. Mm. Yeah. I, the thing with Bielsa is he's kind of just he's a stalwart of the game, isn't he? And you know that he's clearly got a footballing philosophy that can work and it got them to the Premier League. But it does seem when you're in that scrap that it's not the kind of philosophy that's going to dig you out of trouble um, and it's going to leave you very exposed, especially in games like this. They, they were very weakened and, and we know that, um, but they still need to be a little bit more savvy at times. To be honest, they were they were weakened, but they, I mean, they, they had a lot of very solid and decent players in their side. So fingers crossed that works. Um, John, are you with us? I don't know. Am I? Yes, you are. Yes. <laughs> The, the other browser works. That's yeah, I did. It was so weird. It was like I don't know why that solves things, but uh, I'm claiming full credit for solving your audio issues. So there, there you go. go. Take it. Take Fantastic it. stuff. Um, give me John. Just before we go to Jared, give me your raw reactions, mate, um, about the game and and the win over Leeds. It was awesome. It was great. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and we dominated them like real bad. And I get like they're missing a bunch of players or whatever, but doesn't matter it's away from home where our our form hasn't been great uh it's against players that do have an ability to punish you uh against a manager who has the ability to get his players to punish you uh regardless of how many first team players are available for them so to be able to go there at a difficult ground and get a result like that which was just a lot of fun uh was super super exhilarating in my opinion so um it was great to see Emil Smith-Rowe on the score sheet. Uh, it was great to see uh, Saka, even though that wasn't the greatest goal, but uh, he'll take it. And then Martinelli, man, that guy is is turning into one of the most exciting talents in the Premier League. Uh, we knew he had it in him. He just needed to stay fit. Um, and to be able to actualize that was was really important. So definitely exciting stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of upset 
um, more than I would be. Uh, I, I at the beginning of the season or like halfway through the season, I was like, oh, I wish COVID would just turn the Premier League, you know, turn them off so that we can we don't have to deal with this crap anymore. But now, since we're beginning this momentum, I'm kind of upset at the possibility of the Premier League getting shut down. So. Uh, I think you're fickle that, is what you're saying, John. Is you're a fickle, fickle man. <laughs> I'm a human. I'm a, I'm a human being whose yeah. whose opinions change as new information becomes available, and uh, and that's and that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I, I hope it doesn't get canceled just because I, I like to watch football, but also because we're in a unique position right now to have some good momentum going forward. And I'm afraid that might get damaged a little bit if if we had to stop and then restart. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I share the sentiments, and I think that it's. It's luck of the draw, it seems, whether or not a team is going to see their games postponed. We've had Marie and, and Lakonga return positive tests. If that wasn't caught early enough and that's kind of spread amongst the players, then we could face the possibility of, of Norwich either being called off or we go into that game very under strength, which when you've got Man City on the New Year's Day is a little bit of a concern. Jared, just before we go into the specifics, give, give us your raw reactions to the fixture. Yeah, I would sort of echo what these guys said. It was one of the more enjoyable games to watch this year. Certainly the the first half, the first half an hour, I mean, we were all over them. We went out and executed the game plan well. I mean, it was a it was a weekend Leeds team for sure. But even with some reserve players at the Premier League level, they should be putting forth a better effort and a more consistent, you know, defensive front than what they did. They were pretty wide open the entire game. And, you know, kudos for our boys for going out and taking advantage of it and putting the game away early. Uh, I, I sort of look at it as the, the two halves as two separate games. The the first half, we absolutely dominated and ran through them. And then the second half, it was just a big let off. But you see that in sports when one team's kind of not competitive in the game, everyone can tell it's over. You sort of mm-hmm. see that intensity fall off a bit. And it certainly did for us. You know, I, I hated to see us concede. It would have been nice to come out of there with 4-0 rather than 4-1. But that that's pretty nitpicky after a really enjoyable game where we went out and, and just dominated uh, right off the get so really no complaints it was a, a fun one to watch and like the, like the boys I, I think uh, you know I really don't hope I don't want the season to come to a break right now we're on a good run of form we've got I believe do we have Norwich next in league there's a good chance to you know bag three points improve the goal difference a little more and keep rolling so ho- hopefully we get to do that but we'll kind of see what comes of it early this week I think yeah fingers crossed that's all we can all we can do is, is hope at this point that the players are sensible that the, the clubs put in place the, the you know the the restrictions around their own center because we know that everyone has pretty much got full freedom in the uk to, to do as they please still at this point in time but you can still try and be sensible in independently and through the club and through their own guidance and we're assuming that that is indeed happening or we hope it is arsenal have been so far pretty lucky with with a lack of positive tests i mean you think back to last season when teams were seeing games postponed Yes, I think Arteta was the first one of anyone in the Premier League to, to, to catch it. But beyond that, and when we were playing behind behind closed doors, we never really had the outbreaks that Liverpool had, Man City had, Aston Villa had. So I think hopefully we've you know we've got it pretty under wraps. Saying that, you're going to see an outbreak at the club next week. <laughs> you can just see it happening now. Um, let's go into some of the finer details. But Chatbox, thank you so much as always for joining us. Uh, thank you for throwing in the comments. We will, as always... Um, be going into the chat box for questions towards the end of the show for the last half an hour. So make sure you indeed do start to throw them in when we prompt you. Um, Owen, we'll start with some individuals. His name has already come up because he was the star of the show. Um, But Gabriel Martinelli was absolutely 
Fantastic. And uh, what I want to ask is, do you think that Mikel Arteta deserves credit for holding off on the introduction of Gabriel Martinelli? Or do you think that he's worthy of criticism for not throwing him in soon enough? Mm -hmm. Well, look, I know you love little stories and analogies, Tom, so I'm going to tell you one here now. I can see you about to spit your water out there already. Um, Look, when I was about... That's not water, no, it's Coke. English water. Um, (laughs) But when I was about 15 or so, I had like a dirt bike, a scrambler, yeah? And uh, I remember when we bought it, And I kept coming off it and kept coming off it and kept coming off it. And it turned out that the guy that I purchased it from had tuned the engine up a bit too much. Um, so it was obviously way too much under the bonnet for a kid like me. So we took it to the mechanic. It got tuned back down to a nice amount. And guess what? I could handle it so much better. It's so much more fun. And what I'm trying to get at here is that Martin Alley, while he came in raw to the club and whilst he was exciting and uh, he was scurrying, hustling, ne- never giving people a minute's rest, he had too much to his game almost. Uh, whereas, uh, I love Dan Roberts. He hates me too. Um, but anyway, there was, he almost had too much energy in his games. And I think Mikel Arteta um, used the term add gears to his game. And, and that's what I'm starting to see from Gabriel Martinelli. The difference in his game from a year ago to today is chalk and cheese you know he looks like so much more of a sophisticated footballer he seems to have a tactical understanding of the game and whilst they may have been one of them people that sat there and wondered why is this kid not getting a run out when so many players are underperforming and that he could be providing his goals but obviously it's paid dividends now because what we're seeing now is someone who could genuinely within the next year or two be one of the best strike or one of the best forward players in the premier league he's got that kind of talent in his locker you know his ability to seek out um positions to put the the opposition under threat his ability to stay cool under pressure was just highlighted again yesterday for a kid at that age and one of the other things that he does is something that not many strikers do very few i think one two of the people that spring to mind straight away is thierry Henry and luis suarez when he had that unbelievable season at Liverpool, and that's frightened defenders. It's when he picks up the ball, you can see defenders instantly panic because they know that (laughs) they could be made to look like absolute mugs on the end of this little kid. Uh, So for me, look, obviously, I'm not sure whether we're going to touch on it, but with the absence of Aubameyang for all those reasons, we're looking somebody to, to... you know, take the mantle and, and step forward to be the talisman of this club. And, and to me, Gabriel Martinelli seems like somebody who's well up for that challenge. And he's and, and I think he's sort of grabbing it by the scruff of the neck at the minute. So how's he like the boy? Because he's too much. Look, this is what I mean. <laughs> Let me think. You're like one of these weird kids that like comic books and stuff. You know when Uncle Ben... I mean, I've never said, read a comic book in my life. <laughs> remember, uh, remember Uncle Ben said, with great power comes great responsibility. Yes. Kind of like that. Yeah, there was too much there. There was too much. And everything just needed trimmed away and fine-tuned. And now what we'll have is we've trimmed away all the fat. And now we have this beautiful perfect piece of meat what's that is Gabriel Martinelli. What's, what's, what are you trimming your bike for? That was the I'm worst analogy it. I've ever heard. I'm not tr- trimming a bike. I'm trimming a piece of meat, Tom. John you gets said, it. John gets you it. You said that as, as a, your analogy of, you know, trimming the fat. But, but I didn't sense. do I mean, that. I still would have struggled. But the, the... <laughs> oh, dearie me. Chat box. Go to town very freely because <laughs> I, I was, 
Yeah, Ian, you've you've really taken it to to the to the to the level. It's a good analogy if you understand what it means. You know, that's it's just leave it, Jared. What did you think? <laughs> Go well, on, Jared. You all, all of my comments on trimming meat, <laughs> but I, I get what you're saying in the sense that you don't want to lose the aggression and speed and all the things that he has, but you do want to use them a little more selectively than maybe he was right out. And I think that critique is kind of what we would apply to Nuno Tavares early in the year. He's got amazing ability to go forward and beat a man and run, but he can lose the ball and get a little loose with it. So it's, it's not a matter of improving on those areas you already have. It's a matter of kind of using them a little more selectively, kind of like a dirt bike. <laughs> No, <laughs> still doesn't work. <laughs> I, just, I just, I can't get my head around this analogy. John, um, one of the players that was feeding uh, Martinelli and feeding, obviously, Smith Rowe for his mm -hmm. goal was Martin Odegaard, who's been just glorious for the last however many weeks now. He just scores. He chips in with assists now. He was challenged to add goal contributions to his game, and he has. Uh, how far can this kid kind of go now? He's just turned 23. He's still very, very young, and... There seems so much expectation on his shoulders when he signed because of the links to say like James Madison by some fans had desperately wanted him. We ended up with Erdegaard and I think he's proved a lot of the doubters wrong now. Well, you know that I wasn't one of them. So uh, I, I, <laughs> early on, even when we were first linked with them, I told you the story about how when Real Madrid initially signed them. Your dirt bike. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I, just, I started revving my dirt bike and running around the neighborhood with it. Uh, you know, not riding I, it, just running around the neighborhood. No, no, with it next to me. I don't know how to ride a dirt bike. <laughs> remember, remember, the, for the analogy to work, I can't be riding it or else mm. the analogy breaks down. Oh, Otherwise, sure. it's a perfect analogy, uh, but for that. <laughs> um, so uh, I remember I was thinking, um, man, like I wish we could sign players like this, these kind of young, talented, limitless potential seemingly uh, kind of players. And I was extremely happy when we signed him. And I got that it was a project and that it wasn't going to hit the ground running right off the bat. So it was interesting because I think at the time where everyone was kind of crapping all over Odegaard, I was I, I wasn't really engaging with Twitter as much, so I didn't really get that you know sense and going back and forth. So luckily, I was able to avoid that. Lucky, but, lucky man. Yeah. So I don't. <laughs> I, and I can, and I'll be honest, I don't really know specifically what the criticism was, but knowing a lot of the way that Arsenal or and just football Twitter in general works. Um, I'm guessing it wasn't very informed. So just that he um, was average, not worth the money, doesn't score, doesn't assist. Nonsense. nonsense. It's nonsense. Yeah. So um, we're we're starting to see why I was excited about him signing and why they made the decision to sign him. It's it, that pass, that last pass, to, uh, was I, I don't want to say Ozil-esque because, but that's the best thing that we can compare it to in modern Arsenal history. Ozil would make a pass like that, and we've been dying for this number ten creative player since we were trying to sign everyone in the summer and even before that, since Ozil decided that he wanted to play Fortnite instead of playing football. That is what we've been missing on this side, someone consistently that can come in and do that. And one thing that he offers is a goal threat now, which we've seen from set pieces, we've seen from um, you know from dead ball situations in general, and we've seen just from open play that he can offer a goal threat. So the kid is becoming this all-round player. And not to mention his, his, his engine, all right? So... The kid does not stop pressing, running everywhere, all over the place. Reminds me of Ramsey in that regard a little bit, which is another player we said we need a midfielder with this kind of engine that can go throughout the whole game and is still technically gifted like Ramsey was. Um, and, you know, obviously Ramsey had his issues, but I'm talking more when he was at kind of the height of his uh, of his playing with, with Wenger. So 
that that is big to me. And um, one thing we were talking about Martinelli, um, he reminds me a lot, and I I'm just just from what I've seen recently of Alexis in a way, in the sense that he's constantly providing not only goal threats, but he's also um, his work rate again is is, uh, is very intense. And uh, I was talking with Dan uh, Potts over on on the Burkham Wonderland podcast, and he mentioned that. Uh, that comparison, and I never really thought about it. And then I saw a stat after the game that Martinelli was the first player to score two plus goals and create five plus chances for Arsenal in a single Premier League game since Alexis Sanchez at West Ham in 2016, when he had three goals and five chances created. So the the comparison is an apt one. And when you have a player like Odegaard who's able to fill in the role that Alex, that Ozil had with Alexis Sanchez. Uh, and Ramsey, and even Giroud as this kind of uh, target man who would create in the box, I think we're going to start seeing some inter- interesting attacking play, which is much different than the beginning of the season where I was like, I don't see how these pieces fit from an attacking perspective. It's starting to gel, and I just need some consistency going forward. But it's there, and it's pretty obvious if you watch the games. It is indeed. Uh, he's just a player that I, I can't not get on board and, and like what he brings to the team. He just kind of emphasises everyone around him. Yes, he can be too safe sometimes, but to be honest, if he's playing a safe pass, it means we're not losing the ball, which I don't kind of mind too much. I, I think he's adventurous enough that he adds those assists to his game, and I think he added a ridiculous amount of key passes too, um, uh, Odegaard as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing what more he can bring. And as you said, I only echo the thoughts what you said about Martinelli is proving to be, you know, that player that we thought he could be. And yes, he is certainly better as a wide forward rather than a striker chat box. So uh, keep him on the wing. Keep him on the wing as long as feasibly possible. Um, Owen, the other end of the pitch, whilst we remain solid and Leeds didn't really offer loads of threat, Ben White had a bit of a Mustafi moment for me. Um, I, I like Ben White a lot. I'm really happy that we have him. I love his distribution of the way he plays out from the back. Is there any part of you that's concerned that that kind of absent-minded lunging challenge is something that we'll see perpetually throughout his game? Or do you think it's just a kind of a one-off sitch? You you know the way I like the the goalkeepers have these little club, the goalkeepers union where they protect each other. I'm not sure whether I have this viewpoint simply because I play it as a centre-back, but I'll be really honest. I have absolutely no problem with what Ben White did there. None whatsoever. Um, I actually think that, and I put it into our WhatsApp group immediately after the goal, and I still hold the same viewpoint, is that if it wasn't for Cedric's god-awful position and Ben White never would have been left in that position. That whole attack started because Cedric was completely out of position, and then Ben White was left isolated with only him, uh, with only himself between uh, the opposition player and the goal. Um, and look in the in those, it's it's fine watching it in a replay and thinking, oh well, Aaron Ramsdale's here. He would have had it covered and this and that. But the truth is, it happened so quick, and all Ben White knew is that he was the last man between himself and the goal, mm. and and he didn't know where Aaron Ramsdale was. He didn't know where there was any cover, and he made a decision to go into a tackle. And if the truth is, if if Ben White comes out of that tackle with the ball at his feet, or he uh, saves that saves us from conceding a goal or whatever, and it's a clean tackle, everybody's applauding him, going, oh, "What a tackle!" You know, it's fantastic stuff. We we missed having centre halves like that. So for me, it just looks bad. Maybe he gets slightly heightened by the occasion. You know, uh, his history with Leeds as a football club. Um, there seemed to be some. Uh, 
like conflict with the fans throughout the game between Aaron Ramsdale, between our bench, between mm. um the fans and the players while celebrating goals as well, which I'm sure we can touch on in more depth later. But whether the occasion got to his head a little, I'm not sure. But all I can say is that, is that if I was in Ben White's position in that circumstances, I'm pretty sure I would have tried to do the same thing. Yeah. These things just come off these things just come off sometimes and sometimes they don't. And unfortunately that was just one of the times they don't. And I think it would be unfair to brand Ben White in the same category as a Mustafi or something like that over the sake of one challenge when he's been so prolific over the course of the last maybe ten games or so. Yeah, I, I think you've explained it well. I The only criticism I have is I think maybe he can angle his lunge away from the player and look to try and block in a different... Just so he doesn't collide with the player as kind of forcefully as he, see, as see, he but does. Do you, do you not think that... like Here's what I would say to that. And, and funny, it was similar for anybody that watched the Liverpool-Tottenham um, game this evening. Um, Andy Robertson got sent off for a challenge. And it's very easy to sit and think that that was a forceful challenge. And it's similar with Ben White. What everybody forgets is the opposition player is still moving at the same time that you are. So when Ben White initially launched a slide tackle or went for the slide tackle, maybe there was a clear bit of positioning, but it was simply... Uh, the opposition player's momentum that got in between the ball and Ben White and, and caused it to be a foul, if you know what I mean. So yes, it may be rash, but to look at it as a still frame of when the foul happened, um, you have to apply a bit more context than that, than that for me. I Yeah, no, I think it's fair. I think that there's split in the chat books as well. Uh, there's a lot of agreement about the, the Cedric uh, side of the argument as well. And to be honest, that in itself draws an angle because we need to we need to upgrade in that position. Like Tommy Asu, if he is to get injured, and he is someone that gets injured, I mean, for Bologna, he missed a fair few games last season because of injury. He will suffer with them, as all players pretty much do. Knowing that it's going to be Cedric that we fall to is a real concern, and it's really something that I'm worried of happening. Even I mean, we play Sunderland on Tuesday, a League One side. I'm genuinely worried about Cedric playing. That's the, the level of concern I have about him as a footballer. Um Another player that was another interesting challenge, uh, Jared, was was Granit Xhaka's challenge on Rafinha. Um, I obviously I, I saw the game in retrospect, but when I saw the the challenge, I was so sure that, that a red card was going to be brandished off of a VAR review. From my point of view, I know a lot of people have said otherwise. Um, I feel like the challenge on Nuno Tavares from Gordon in the Everton game was quite similar. And that wasn't given a red card. So the, I think the argument I gave last night on the, or this morning on the show was if you give one, you can't really kind of give the other um, and, and the other way around, of course. So did you do you feel as though that was a red or could have been a red? And do you think it's or is it kind of borderline? And do you think it's something that was needless from Xhaka in a game that, you know, we were very much winning at that point? Well, first off, it's definitely needless from Xhaka in a game you're comfortably winning, but that's just his MO. You know, he doesn't take into, mm. take into consideration time and score. He just goes out there and does what he does. I would call it a yellow, may maybe an orange for people who like to use that term. It, it was definitely not, not a good effort, but I've seen worse tackle attempts. Oh, I don't know off the top of my head in the first half of the Liverpool Spurs game today by <laughs> oh number God. nine that, that didn't even get reviewed as far as I know. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. So, I mean, if you're going to let a guy run in full speed who goes spikes up into someone's shin, off without even really giving it a review. I don't see how you could argue for Xhaka to, to get a red on it. Yeah. If he did, I think it would have been one that's by the letter of the law, you probably would say it, I guess it could kind of fall under the verbiage that goes along with that. 
but it would have been harsh and it probably would have been more of a reputation red card that Granite Xhaka is likely to get that other players aren't. And we kind of say that as a joke a lot that, oh, if Granite does that, it's a red. But, you know, there's a little bit of truth in there that he does, I think, at times get adjudicated a bit differently than, you know, say someone who captains England's uh, international side. So a, a poor effort. But for me, it was more what you alluded to that he just doesn't know when it's unnecessary. Like he doesn't take those things into consideration. He just does what he does for better, oftentimes for worse. But yeah, obviously in a three nil game or when you're up comfortably, it's pretty unnecessary. They'd offered nothing going forward. There wasn't a real threat there, even that he was necessarily getting in the way of. So it just gave uh, Arsenal fans, I think, just a minor amount of stress for a game where there had been none uh, at all to that point. But that's what he does. And that's what he'll continue to do as long as he's here, I'm sure. He will, um, and which is obviously a concern. But he does bring control, and I think there's there is a correlation with him being in the team and our form picking up. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to to not see an added control to Arsenal's team when he's there, and especially on that left flank and kind of the service that he gives there. But he has always got those moments in him. Um, John, you were shaking your head, not convinced. Uh, no, I think it, it, you know what. Uh, Jeff's points are are well taken. I when I first saw it, I was kind of like, "There's a little bit of dark arts in that challenge," uh, <laughs> and the fact that he got away with it, he executed it pretty well. And and it's to me that it was a little bit more. It was less of him losing his head and him actually taking out their only goal threat, which is Rafinha. And so I was looking at it more like, "Wow, that was actually." You know, he managed to get it, pull that off pretty well and get away with it. Um, is it something that we get a little stressed about? Possibly, but all's well that ends well. Mm. Uh, the, the reality was it wasn't given a card. And if you look at it, I think it's probably a yellow, which he knew at that point he could probably get away with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the only concern I have is just the inconsistency of the referees. You're putting a lot of faith that the referees get that right, which is not a smart idea. Um, but for me, I think it was very deliberate what he did, and uh, I think that he did it to a particular player that um, a, a targeted player for them. So, do you, think, do you think that it was hilarious the fact that, um, like, literally seconds after he uh, was under scrutiny for that tackle, that he was running over protest and that, yeah, <laughs> that, look, that, I think that, that they tackled in the exact same manner. Yeah, look, the, the, the notion that Jaka, the notion that Jaka doesn't have like the the smarts to be able to engage in these like dark arts is just ridiculous. The guy is the, the guy does that all the time. He, he draws so many fouls by on that basis. He does this thing constantly. If you watch him where he'll go in front of a player and then draw the foul and then get knocked over. Some people hate that. I tend to like it because, you know, it really puts, you know, it makes it seem like even in a game where a team is not playing very difficult or, or tough football, it, it makes at least to the refs seem like they're being a little bit more physical than they should. So I don't think he gets enough credit for that aspect of it. And I'm not I, I'm not going to be getting a lot of, you know, friends by giving any compliments <laughs> to Xhaka because I know it's not popular, but I'm here to give my opinion. I really, unfortunately, don't really care if, if people agree with me at the end of the day. But yeah, so... Um, I think that that was an interesting one, um, but it's definitely one that you could see going wrong, and that would be your typical Jaka foul. But this this is one where it uh, it ended up working out pretty well, so I'm okay with it. It did. It, did. it worked out really well. Jared, go on. Yeah, I, I would add to that. I I know you say, and you may be absolutely correct in that, but my my concern there is even if that is his kind of 
mode there is to go in and just take a shot at Rafinha. He's not a guy that has a good track record of making that decision of what's too hard of a challenge to make and not. Yeah, is, wrong well, well, I would, I would, I would counter that by he at least has one now that we know of in recent memory. So, so, um, you know, yes, I don't think he's the player that I would trust to do that, but he got away with it. So again, like I said earlier, all's well that ends well. He's a player that will mess up and will, you know, get you a red card every once in a while. Um, but I think that's, you know, uh, given what he's done with Arteta, that's been few and far between, even though there have been instances. Yeah. So, so three reds under Arteta or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I get it. Like, he's a player that's going to be going into challenges and doing stuff like that. He's not the most technically gifted when it comes to defensive uh, contributions. But he is kind of like a shithouser. And uh, I do like that in his game. So I'm not sure if that was the case here. It might just be me reading too much into it. Yeah, okay. people in the chat box, I think, are more... That's fine. I'm not sure that, yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying, mm-hmm. because the way he tackled the way he tackled was interesting. Like It wasn't like you t- it wasn't like the Kane challenge, for instance, today. It wasn't, it like wasn't out of control. It, it was, was like very deliberate. It was very way. deliberate. It was very controlled in how yeah. he went in with like studs down onto the play. So, yeah, it was an odd one. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. I don't think we'll ever know. I think you'll only know if you live in the head of Granite Jack. Unless, it would be one of the scariest places to be, I think. Unless <laughs> unless the, the Amazon documentary we hear Arteta going, just beat him up out there in second half. <laughs> <laughs> just a big red circle around Rafinha on the board. <laughs> um, obviously, there, uh, there was a lot of positives from the game, and I do want to focus on that. But what I want to focus in particular to kind of round things off before we go into the chat box Owen is is on Arteta because well we've been giving the the, the the players a lot of plaudits and quite rightly but it's nice to be able to and I named this this podcast I think I called it come on it feels good to be an Arsenal fan again um, and it does and I think that Arteta deserves a lot of credit for what kind of how we're playing because that was always the biggest question around him was whether he can implement a style whether we could improve the chance creation and the quality of chances, and if he could progress the players that are currently under his tutelage. And he's kind of answered in those three games against Southampton, West Ham, and now Leeds that, yes, I can see a style, I can see progression, and I can see something I can get behind. Yeah, absolutely. And and I would love to give Mikhail Arteta a big shout-out for the simple fact that everything in my life just seems right now. Arsenal are in fourth place. <laughs> Everything for years there, I was completely thrown off, but now I'm, I'm back to where I like to be. But no, in all seriousness, look, something that I've really made a big effort to try and do um, this this year is to really stop looking at the ownership and how much money we're spending and, and you know, everything that's going on behind the scenes and even to a certain extent what the manager's doing. But I, I just thought that, look, your head would be absolutely destroyed if that was all you constantly think about and all you're reading about and stuff. And let's just get back to being just an Arsenal fan. And for me, that's what I've been doing recently, you know, not worrying about team selections or this or that. I'm just sitting down and trying to enjoy the game for what it is. And for me, maybe it's coincidentally, since I've started doing that, Arsenal have been starting to play some very, very good football. And I think the thing you have to remember... yourself credit for Arsenal's football. It's me. It's all me, boys. Um, look, which do, what my approach this season doesn't make for making a great podcast or a podcast guest because when you're out of the loop as much as I am, you have very limited knowledge or opinions to give people that, that they don't already have. But um, what I will say is that we have become so reactionary and we talk about consistency and I was listening to one of your shows there a while ago and I can't really remember 
who it was that said it, but they were saying that consistency is um, something that we really need to work on because we'll go for nine out of ten games playing well and then one game not playing well. And for me, I'm sitting going, well, that's consistency. You know, if, if you're if you're having one bad game out of ten, that's really good. And I think that's what we're starting to build towards now. At the start, start of the season, obviously, lack of players. Um, you can contextualise all those games individually and look for reasons why we lost that. Liverpool... Obviously, everybody would have predicted a loss there. Man United disappointed, Everton disappointed. But apart from that, really, we're starting to go into these games and starting to pick up a lot of... Um... <laughs> What's wrong with your tree? Like, just noticed, look at that. <laughs> this is my pool room. That's it's a spur one. Uh, look, we, we have a young daughter, school. and last year she was destroying everything, so we bought that thing. She, she couldn't reach anything. Yeah, that, was, that, that, that Christmas tree is a representation of Arsenal's attack versus defense up until we scored goals. <laughs> it's a pretty cute little thing, man. It's nice. Argos. I think they're like 99 99 or something. But anyway, yeah. Um, Did you get it half price? <laughs> 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 yeah, the settlement sections. Uh, yeah. We're saving up for the bottom half next year. Um, but <laughs> where was I? I you don't know. You <laughs> threw me off. You were talking about motorbikes. Mikel and motorbikes. No, Mikel or Teddy. Yeah, look, here, here's what I've said is that I would give him until Christmas. That That's what I said after um, the those games at the start of the season, once we started to pick up a bit of form. And now we're. The, we're, we're over exceeding my expectations of where we would be and the manner of football uh, or the manner in which we've got there, the football that we we're playing, the style that we're starting to show. So for me, you have to give the manager till the end of the season unless something insane happens. Okay. But what I would say is that Mikel Arteta has a habit of everything working out right at the last minute. It's like, you know, those superhero movies where like, the the check is falling from the top of a building and then last second Spider-Man swoops in and grabs her. That's Mikel Arteta as a football manager. It's not if a motorbike analogy. Likes, so I know that yeah. Dan Roberts said if we get 100 likes, Owen will say another analogy. So did we get... Oh, easy, we man. I've got, I've got at least four or five more than me before the end of the show. That's the second Spider-Man reference too. Yeah, <laughs> so, I see the advert. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the movie. Got... <laughs> Don't spoil the movie. But anyway, yeah, what I'm saying is, right. like, if you look at the Chelsea game on Boxing Day last season, Emil Smith-Rowe introduced, you know, that's literally... The pressure was a boiling point with Mikel Arteta. And it almost seemed like after the Everton game that the pressure was a boiling point again and now all of a sudden we're starting to see an attacking style from this side and for me it's just that maybe we need to rein it in let's not be so knee-jerky let's not be so reactionary let's not want to see oh this person had one bad game so we'll have to put Nuno Tavares in the left back for Kieran Tierney because he was pretty bad or put Sammy Lecongue in for Granite Jacket let's just get some consistency let this team uh, develop some chemis- chemistry organically and let's see how they flourish for the rest of the season because the signs are bright. It's just the, the fine details that need tweak now. Yeah, no, I think you made some good points. I mean, especially the comic book reference again, it's top quality content right there. Uh, Cheers, that. Um, We are going to be heading into the chat box ever so shortly to go for your questions. So if you do indeed have one or two or three or however many, throw them into the chat. Uh, nothing about the new Spider-Man film. We will not have any spoilers. If you start spoiling films, you'll be bad because I know there'll be plenty of people in the chat who have not yet seen the film and I know how annoying spoilers can be. So please don't spoil the film uh, for other people. But if you would like to throw in some questions, please indeed do. John, I know you haven't got long uh, before you got to shoot. Uh, so let's go for Ed in the chat box who says, 
is there a relatively popular player for Arsenal who you just didn't like? Mine was Rosicki for no reason whatsoever. And Monreal for that Mustafi-level face when he got called for anything. Oh, man, that is a good, that's a good one. I don't, I don't know how you don't like Rosicki and, and Monreal. That's a, that, that is a difficult one. Um, <laughs> relatively popular, I guess, is... Um, here's the thing. You know, I don't know. Would you consider Giroud relatively popular? I, I think uh, at the be- in the beginning in the beginning he was, and that's that's kind of why I'm asking. Lefty certainly wasn't. <laughs> yeah. All, all right. How about how about for me? It was Awobi, and Awobi was relatively like early on. And I even then I I saw I liked what he could do, and I saw like maybe he had some potential, but he had no end product for me. And I and right early on I, I kind of acknowledged that, but um, you know that's that would be mine. I don't know if he'd be a, a relatively popular player, but I think he is. Mm-hmm. Until no, he, until like his last season, yeah. I I I am trying to think who I would even go for. Who was popular that I just didn't like? I've got yeah. one. If you would go like on, time Owen. for it, yeah, go on. Joe Willick. I never, I never seen it whatsoever, and he just I say Reese Nelson. I feel like I never really liked Reese Nelson. Reese yeah. Nelson was my second because Reese yeah. Nelson was my second, but Can he I never check? really gets. Ooh, that's a good you consider one. him relatively popular. Did you say that Lacazette? No, check. Oh, Petr Cech. Ah, that's not a bad one, actually. With the stupid headgear, I could go either way on him. That's <laughs> <laughs> just a medical it's... condition, Jack. <laughs> oh, I don't care. Darn asthmatics in their inhalers. How about a relatively relatively unpopular player that you do like? An unpopular player that I spot. I mean... Jaka is mine. I mean, Jaka is the like, obvious answer. If I don't you like, like Jaka yeah. after what he did. I mean, I understand what he did, but I can't like him for what he does. I still don't agree with what he did. Um, some really good ones. I don't think Gallas was popular, Cass. I really don't. <laughs> he was ever popular. So there you go. Um, yeah, yeah, Sonogo, just for the bounce. Yeah, I just loved it when he scored. I loved it when Joel Campbell got an appearance. <laughs> <to> be <honest. laughs> I actually got to see Joel Campbell play a game live at the Emirates. So that 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 is yeah. a and we won yeah. against Manchester City. So wow. that's a, that's an interesting one. <laughs> uh, let's go to the next question. Uh, Jared from Crook. Uh, in order to get Abamyang backfiring on all cylinders, do you guys think that Arteta should start treating him? Like a dirt bike. <laughs> There's no way you read that whole question before you put it up there. There is no way that I read that whole question. <laughs> I mean, realistically, when we're talking, you know, this time of year and Christmas, if you were going to get someone a dirt bike, there's only one way it's going to fit under a Christmas tree. And that's if you cut about half of it off and you can slide it right under there. Now, somebody had the foresight to get that done, but it wasn't Mikel Arteta. If we want to treat this like a serious question, as far as Alba firing on all cylinders, he's not going to do it here. I think he's Mm. basically done at Arsenal and he'll be on the way out. So he's a he's a non-factor in our plans as as far as I can tell. People have just tuned in. And to be fair, when that first analogy came up, we were on about 150 listeners. We're now on 378. So there's a good 200 odd people that are like, what on earth are they talking about? You got 98 (laughs) likes. If we get to 100, you have to make another dirt bike. Yeah, come on, drop those likes down because Owen will bring up an analogy. It could even be... I'm gonna I'm gonna vamp for a second to get that hundred because he gets the next one. question. There it is. There we go. Lovely stuff. So Zonda says, and this is a great one. 
Do any of you believe Josh Cronkey was the one who demanded Aubameyang to be removed from the first team squad? Don't believe it myself, but seen it around Twitter today. Did you do really have to do it or not? These are things that just come to me. <laughs> I can't do these. I'm start speaking and one may come to you. That's, that's may, maybe will. Um, do I think that he's responsible? No. Uh, I'd say he's maybe had some... He's approved the decision, I would say, because obviously... Um, that that's a massive decision, even for the marketability of of, of uh, Yang as well, and and the amount of deals I'm sure he has simply for being the captain. You know, I've seen him in adverts and and representing the club for for their um, in house adverts and stuff like that as well. So I think it's solely down to Mikel Arteta as well. And if you if you look at the language that was used. I'm sorry, I thought you were going to go into... <laughs> no, man, I can't do it. You're not getting one now, I but I, I'll get one. Speaking so hard Don't worry. <laughs> it's very difficult to, to, to get one out of just one specific question. But what I will say is um, the language that was used in the statements by Mikel Arteta and the club w- would indicate that this isn't the, the first or the second or the third time that, that, that there has been disciplinary issues with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. We all know about him turning up late to the... Um, to the North London Derby, which was bad. And then obviously the club were flexible enough to grant him leave, which they didn't really have to do at this time of the season. And they let him go away. And obviously he abused that flexibility and that trust. Um, And what I would say is that I can't wait for the All or Nothing documentary because I'm pretty sure there has to be some stuff revealed in that. If there isn't, I would be shocked. And they're yeah. not shocked because they censor everything at Arsenal. So, I mean... You... If it's access all areas, then surely there's going to be something <laughs> about it. Um, Anthony says, John, what uh, what's the plan with Emil Smith throw and the current starting eleven? He seems to be just a bit part impact sub at the moment. So I, I'm kind of two minds with this one. I'm in one camp of you know if it ain't broke, don't fix it, and he's doing really well coming off the bench, and and we're doing really well starting off with Martinelli, Lacazette, and uh, and Saka. Okay. Uh, and Odegaard. So um, I I don't I think it's a good problem for the manager to have with these players firing on all cylinders. Uh, so um, I think that when you're looking at it from the perspective of uh, what is the plan now with ESR, I don't imagine we're going to change it up anytime soon, especially when the players that are being selected right now starting mm. are performing. Um, it's a great option to have. I think that we'll start to see maybe him get the starts in the cup competition, or maybe I'm wrong and he just starts him right off the bat because he's good enough and he's been performing enough. Either way, I don't think we're in a bad position strategically or um, you know personnel-wise. So that's a good thing. I think what we need to consider is over a long term, you, you, these are two players that are going to want to be starting at Arsenal. Um, and there's going to be there's going to come a point of di- of diminishing return, or rather a point where they're going to demand that, and then you have a problem on your hands because you have to then because I think they're both talented enough, ESR and Odegaard, um, that I don't believe the, the manager has any plans on selling them. He needs to figure a way to fit them in, and he needs to do that in a way that doesn't detriment his overall strategic plan and tactical uh, you know ideas that he has. So, good question. Yeah, very much so. Uh, we've just had some breaking news. We've found out what Drew is doing um, whilst he's not podding. Uh, he's doing this. He's taking selfies, is what he's doing, whilst not podding with us. Unbelievable uh, behaviour. 
<laughs> from true no, we're already kidding have a fantastic time with your family mate and i hope it's going well uh sam tresida who has already won the award for the greatest youtube comment of all time uh says jared should the goal for this window still be experienced in midfield and a competent replacement at right back yeah I, i've said since last summer i think midfield is the number one area of concern with the squad and i'd like to see us strengthen for for sure um as far as a right back i wouldn't say replacement because i don't think there's any need to replace tomiyasu but i think you know some cover there in case he's injured or needs a break as the, as the fixtures get a little bit congested uh, i think that makes good sense like we've all said cedric you know you, you saw in the leeds game he's not the level that we would want in that spot and there's a, a noticeable drop off if tomiyasu comes out so i think that makes good sense but for me midfield's still number one i know the striker position's one that's kind of high on everybody's list too uh but right now lacazette's doing a job there i have no problem you know, keeping him till the end of the season and letting him walk for free. And I'd rather spend our money on midfield in January to solidify that area. Yeah, I agree. Um, Julian says, Owen, how do you see our goalkeeping situation playing out? Leno to leave in January or the summer? Jam may be a risk, bearing in mind the backup. I suppose a lot of it depends on Leno because for me, given the way that Leno spoke and handled the situation with Amy Martinez um, at the end of... Uh, last season, the season before, um, and then the way that he spoke to the media <clears throat> after uh, Aaron Ramsdale's uh, breakthrough into the first team, he doesn't seem to me the type of player that really relishes competition, which I'll be honest, sort of, he loses a lot of his likability for me when he when he does stuff like that, you know, when he comes out and he doesn't relish the challenge or, or relish the competition of having somebody push him. So for me, I would be more than happy for him to leave in January it's the only thing is is who do you go out and get who's available to go and get and to be honest with you i haven't really looked that deeply into who would be available how much it would cost or, or anything like that what i would say is is that if lana was willing to stay until the end of the season he's a very capable goalkeeper obviously just stylistically he maybe doesn't fit into mikhail or tell or had his plans quite as well as aaron ramsdale but the worst thing that we can have as we know from uh, from the past and and um to an extent to the present how bad it is to have a, a bad egg in the dressing room you know and and for me that's the most vital thing so if if leno is kicking up a fuss behind the scenes i would be looking to ship him on in january if he's content to stay until the end of the season get himself a more desirable move where he can maybe have more choice in the summer then then that's fine just leave him there till the end of the season uh, Xhaka, my captain, who clearly has no bias towards any player in the Arsenal team, says, John, is there a reason on Mikel's insistence on Partey? I think he's been one of our worst players this season, but yet he plays every minute. Um, so I agree that um, Partey has not been very good. I mentioned that I brought this up multiple times on our group chat that I think that he's had very he's had a very difficult season. He'll have moments where he's really good, but he has this he really needs to work on making sure that he can pass to a red shirt or a blue shirt if we're playing like we did uh, in that kit. He um, he definitely misplaces way too many passes that I'd like. Um, his work rate's great. Um, I, I want him to stop shooting. I want him to stop shooting. He can't do it. He can't do it, clearly. Um, maybe that'll, that could develop at some point, work on the training ground, you know, but I, I don't know what, it, it's, it's kind of that old adage of, of insanity that being, you know, trying the same thing, expecting a different result. And that's kind of what he's been doing. And it's, and that, uh, to be fair though, to be fair, he did have a couple shots on target finally. Um, so there's that, um, in terms of being our worst player, 
um, I would argue that that'd be Aubameyang. Um, but I, I think that he has been relatively poor. Uh, and I think that I, I know someone mentioned uh, midfield. I think if we do get a an option in midfield, it's not going to be a Jaka replacement. I think it's going to be for for like a switching out with party. Um, and it's weird because he's such a young player and he's got a lot of talent. And I know we were all hyping him up in the summer and when we signed him and he started off very well. And we thought there was this big mobile midfielder, but he needs to get his um, passing under control. And I think his decision-making a little bit under pressure needs to come under control. And it's weird because it seems to have regressed since he initially signed with us. He was making the right decisions. He was up there in terms of the statistics with respect to possession and, uh, and control of midfield. Um, and now when you when you're making Xhaka look like the best midfielder we have, um, I know a lot of people would appre- appreciate the statement that that's usually not a good thing, mm. considering Xhaka, you know, can control a game, but many times can let people down. So um, he needs to step up his game or they need to come up with some kind of an alternative there. Um, why does he play every minute? It's because I think he's more he I think he's more. Uh, it's a good question. I think he's more of of a first team player than uh, Lakanga is right now for Arteta, at least. And yeah. I think Arteta sees his potential, and you don't actualize your potential by sitting on the bench. Um, and I think that he was brought in to be a starter in the midfield alongside Granajaka. So that's what we're trying to do. There comes a point where there, like I, I mentioned it before, diminishing returns with uh, ESR situation. There's also diminishing returns with the Parte situation where. Um, there, there comes a point in time where you need to make a difficult decision and he needs to eventually start slotting in, in that midfield with Jaka and start pulling his weight or else there's going to be a difficult decision that the manager has to make. John, I know you got to shoot off, mate, but thank you so much for, uh, for coming on uh, this evening. Tell people they can find you. You can find me at 305 cast. And as always, the chat's been brilliant. Uh, it's been a great chat. Uh, so thank you all. No worries, mate. Have a fantastic evening, fella. Enjoy it. All right. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Massive thank you to John. Um, Now, we are obviously a podcast that has got more depth at right back than Arsenal do. And so, therefore, I'd like to welcome member Alex Jones to the show. How are you doing, Alex, mate? You good? You well? I can't hear you. Why can't I? Oh, we've got the John problem. (laughs) Oh, no, this is the John situation. Alex, the way to solve this. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Yeah, funnily enough, I had mute on. Uh, (laughs) Right. How you doing, mate? You good? I'm not too bad, thank you. Yeah, how are you doing, guys? Very good. I see Movember has treated you very well, son. Oh and, yeah, uh... it's, it's gone a lot better than expected. So well, <laughs> I've been encouraged to keep it. Um, although I'll be honest, all this um, new stuff that I'm going to have to get now is <laughs> bit, just bit, ask Owen Jared. They are very clearly more and more experienced anyway than I am. So there, uh, there you go to's on that. Let's throw throw a question uh, your way. Let's go to the chat box and from King. Uh, one of our other fantastic members says, what position, Alex, is the most important to strengthen in January and why? Um, well, I think until very recently, I'd thought probably striker. But I think the most important one for me is probably a backup right back. Um, <laughs> just because watching how badly we sort of capitulated as soon as Tommy Asu had to come off, you realise how influential he is and how sort of, well how bad Cedric was and is. And I think that's one of the thing, things that happen with some of the players that we've got is you get slightly dis- disillusioned as a fan into thinking that players like Xhaka or Cedric are 
good in a, in one way or another. Like mm. I'm not saying they're bad footballers because anyone who plays at the professional level is good. But if we want to get to where we want to be in the Champions League and challenging for that top four towards the end of the season, I think that yeah, a backup right back and I'd still say a striker is important given that we've got two big players who are rumoured to be leaving or out of contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I can't, I don't see as much as I love Martinelli. I think he's better out wide than he would be up front. He's indeed. He is. It's just, it's the right answer. He is. He's obviously better <laughs> out wide. <laughs> um, speaking of strikers, Jared Vinny in the chat box asking, who would you bring in as a striker in January? And do you think we'll be able to move on a Bamiyan? Um, I, I think we will be able to move Aubameyang on just out of necessity because we're not going to want him here and, you know, all the circus that's going to go with that if he's still on the team and not playing. Uh, we're going to take a pretty big hit on it would, would be my expectation. We're either going to be giving him away for basically nothing and or paying part of his salary. So it, it's not going to be a win for the team, you know, financially, but it hopefully will be a win in the aggregate just having him away from the team uh, rather than just sitting around not involved and, and causing problems. Mm-hmm. As far as who we'd bring in, you know, it's tough. I think the one that everybody would have their eye on and one is Vlahovic, which, you know, if you can get him, you Mm -hmm. take him. I mean, guys like him, there's not many out there. So I I think even if he's expressed no interest in the club, you still kind of shoot your shot and put it out there. Uh, Worst he can say is no. And if he says no, then you move on. Looking at how we've recruited uh, going back to last summer, I think it's much more likely we're going to look for a relatively young English player um, that seems to be kind of the direction the team's going. So the top of the list for me, I think you're looking at likely potentially a move for Calvert-Lewin, depending on his fitness level, or maybe Ollie Watkins. Now, as well as Villa's playing, I don't think that's a realistic option that they're going to sell him in January. I think he would be a summer acquisition if you were going to get him. And, and that's kind of the way I would go. Um, like I said earlier, I don't mind keeping Lacazette and, and you know losing him for nothing if it means we end up in top four because he's playing well and playing the role we want him to play. Um, in, in just a calendar year, we went from a team that gets only goals from our striker and nowhere else to a team that gets goals from everywhere else except for striker. And it hasn't really worked to our detriment. Um, Lacazette playing much deeper, helping the midfield, helping that link up. You know, we, we've played in total a much better game and we've got more guys getting on the score sheet. So I'm very much don't rock the boat if things are going well. And that's kind of where I fall on it. But I think we're going to look at a younger-ish English striker. I think it could be Calvert-Lewin, Watkins, um, outside, maybe Tony, something like that from Brentford, even though he hasn't had a huge goal-scoring year. But I think a a young English player is probably where they're going to try and look based on, you know, what we've done in the past. We've got about 15 minutes left of the show. Um, I did put a poll into the chat box on YouTube. Uh, Interestingly, I just felt like I would do one uh in reflection of i did one with harry a couple of weeks ago where i just simply asked what are your feelings on the manager uh, are you arteta now or are you still uh or rather back on the fence uh and interestingly during that show around 50 percent of people said they were arteta out i think it was after the everton game um and around 30-ish percent said they're on the fence and it was less than 20%, I think, that said they're Arteta in. Currently, after 179 votes, and it's going up all the time, make sure you have voted if you haven't done so already. It's on YouTube. Uh, 12% are now Arteta out. Uh, 29% are on the fence and 59% sit with Arteta in. Oh, in, in reaction to that, 
seeing such a swing, um, and I mean, the shows are done at very similar times. It's a very similar audience that join us every single week. So it's pretty reflective of the community here. And that's a big swing in the opposite direction based upon three matches. Mm. What kind of conclusions do you draw from that? That our fan base is way overreactionary, which is <laughs> all of us know you mean that. The fan base, yeah. or you mean the TGT community? <laughs> no, well, no, and it's funny because I would say that if there's any platform or if there's any um, channel on this platform that is that is not reactionary, it's mm. probably yours. You've uh, arguably yeah. even for all the banter they're giving me in that chat, they're, they're quite a sensible <laughs> group, and 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 uh, the put across good opinions and stuff. So. Uh, look, here's what I here's what I've been trying to do: take it five games at a time, and then sort of start to gauge an opinion. Uh, and for me, like I said, I've tried to take myself out, take a step back, and and, and stop worrying so much about who the manager is and what's happening from game to game. And let's just assess things at different points of the season. And that's why I gave myself the target of of Christmas to assess and we're sitting in a very good position yeah. now and why I think on merit Mikel Arteta has now earned himself because of the work that he's done up to this point to get to the end of the season and, and see this out and then you can assess it again at the end of the season Um, for me the Premier League look one of the things that I really struggled with and I, and I think this is part of the reason our fan base is so reactionary is because Arsenal were, at their, were in, their, in their pump at a time when there was only really four or five brilliant teams in the Premier League and all the other games you went away and you knew you were getting a result. It was very rare you seen a big upset like a Watford beating a Manchester United or or whoever, but name, name all the rest of the teams. But the truth is, is whilst I think the glory days of the Premier League are gone in terms of I think the teams were better back then in the top four, but I think the quality from top to bottom in the Premier League now is the best it's ever been. So these consistent runs of 15 wins back to back and you know going invincible for a season and they just don't exist anymore. There's too much quality mm. in the Premier League. You know, you look at teams like Everton who were thought to be an absolute muck a couple of days ago and yet they, they have the ability to just turn it on and players like Richardson who never would have stayed at a team like Everton is still there. At the minute so for me uh, to get back to the question about where we are with the manager at the minute i think we'll have to understand and put into context that the situation that michael arteta is in not only with the pandemic with the limited funds at the, the beginning of that we've spent now but we also have a very 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 young group of players mm. and say whatever you want about michael arteta and the flaws he has but the players are still definitely 100 percent behind him and for me that's the biggest sign i can get behind anybody once the players are behind them yeah, no, I think you raise a good point, especially around that that final point on the dressing room. And I think that's probably the reason why, even in the darkest periods of Arteta's tenure, the club's never come close to to moving him on. Uh, whereas with Emery, that wasn't the case. The players had completely disassociated themselves from the manager. And at that point, or the head coach, I suppose, at that time, but at that point, there wasn't really a way back for him. Uh, just to quickly answer Nambro's question, it might be off topic. I don't know. I just joined, but if I'm not mistaken, Mavropanos's option to buy can't be activated. Stuttgart is relegated. My understanding is that it's an obligation to buy. Um, and if they are to be relegated, then it becomes an option to buy. Uh, that, so... I imagine they will still be activating the three million euro uh, option in that contract because it's a ridiculously cheap deal for a player of that quality. So 
That's my expectation. Uh, let's scroll into Sam's question. Who says, Alex, has the integration of young players into the squad put to bed any rumours of Arteta's mismanagement of youth or is he just hit and miss? Um, I think it's difficult. I think you can only go off the evidence that you've got and the evidence at the moment suggests that he's pretty good at it. And, you know, whatever people have said in previous terms about people like players like Raheem Sterling and, you know, you don't 100% know how much influence he had. But when he was at Man City as a coach, there was a lot of reports coming out um, saying that he was particularly good at managing players and managing sort of their development paths. Um, what do you make of the the argument of because I see it come and I think it's even been put in the chat box today that he stumbled upon Smith Rowe and he stumbled upon recently Gabriel Martinelli. What do you make of that kind of perspective? It's not one I hold, but it's one I do see. Um, I think there's a lot of young players who show a lot of promise who move with big expectations or coming from a youth team or from a from an academy with big expectations. And there's countless examples of players who haven't performed to the standard that they were expected. So I don't think that there's necessarily much value in saying that he's stumbled upon Smith Rowe or he's because he's performing the way he is. So what does it matter? Like mm. whether like uh, he's got Martinelli performing the way he did, you know, uh, or the way he is, sorry. Um, and people were sort of giving him quite a lot of stick for not playing Martinelli um, without necessarily, and this is probably me included in this because I often ask for Martinelli to come into the team when I'm sort of shouting at the TV for the last uh, for sort of three years. Several months, yeah. Oh, yeah, even yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um But but yeah, I think it it's um, you know I th- I think it's it's difficult to to say that he's just sort of got lucky. Um, and, you know, Saka is not on the greatest run in terms of actual um, productivity, but I think he's playing better than he has been. Um, I think you just have to look at players like Ben White, who everyone was giving a lot of stick to. And although, obviously, I'm, I'm coming off the back of a rather rash challenge against... Um, well, not according to Owen. <laughs> No, no, I mean he, he's he's gone for the ball, but yeah, you know he, he he's not got it. So so it's it's fine lines, isn't it? It becomes a rash challenge if he if he if he misses the ball. But um, but no, I I think he's got. You've got to give him credit, and you've got to give the coaching staff he's got around him credit as well. Um, you know, uh, and you've got to give Arteta a bit of credit for getting rid of. Um, I think it's Andreas Jergsen or whatever his name was, uh, the set piece coach, and bringing in Nicholas Hover. Hover, I'm, I'm, mm. my accent is not not great, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's Hover or something. Like that. Um, and look at us from set pieces being outstanding, as far as I can see. Like yeah. very, very few goals conceded. But sorry, I've gone slightly off the question there. No, so, no, it's fine. Um, but I but yeah, but yeah, I think. Um, and very briefly to add on to Owen's point that you're talking about from the last question, apologies. Mm. Um, I think you have to look at the fact that the standard of players in terms of young players has improved massively in the last sort of 15, 20 years. Like back then you have sort of your 
Anelka, Thierry Henry, you know, you have that. But now you've just got so many players and so much more access with the methods of scouting in terms of you have your video scouting, your data analysis, where they don't even need to go and watch a player in order to know whether they're good or not. Um, And you look at the England youth team and how many people are getting into under 18s, 19s, and this is countless. You look at the France team, they've got about, 20 oh, centre-backs exactly. like that would get in England's, <laughs> England's um, team. Like I think you, it's the game is forever changing and forever evolving. So, um, yeah, it's exciting, I think. I, I thoroughly enjoy being part of coaching, which is what I do on the side. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've, it's, it's a great time. It is indeed. And I think that, like, there's a lot to be excited about. And I think this is a good question to finish before we go into predictions for Sunderland. Um, why have I lost it? It was a really good question from Javier about the... I will find it, uh, Jared, but it was basically... Here it is. Uh, does Arteta feel these young players are long-term starters or do you think they're upgradable? And I think just to add some context to that as well, uh, I remember it was Gary Neville, who obviously is a bit hit and miss with some of the opinions he says about Arsenal, but one of the more positive sides to a viewpoint he had was that I think that Arteta has recognised that he can't necessarily sign the players that City and Chelsea and Liverpool were signing. And so we're looking to sign players that can turn into players that would get into those teams. But do you think there's a case in point that there is an edge of ruthlessness to Arteta's management and that if there was the option to, say, bring in a player that would go in above Erdegaard or put Martinelli on the bench or put Tommy Yasu on the bench, do you think that he would still go go out and, and get that player if it became available? I mean, I don't think he's going to turn down any sort of world-class talent. I think if he had the opportunity to bring in Raheem Sterling, he still would. Depth is important. If if we do well this year, like we all won, and we're playing Champions League football, we've got more fixtures to fill in. We're going to need some rotation. But I, I think he looks at it as these guys are potentially ones that could hold down spots for the next three to five years. They, they seem like they have that sort of talent and upside. You know, you never know if they're going to realize that. But no, I don't think he would ever say no to to bringing in more competition and bringing in better players so the squad's much deeper top to bottom. I think that makes you know perfectly good sense. I don't think any re- reasonable manager would say no to, to any sort of upgrade, but he, he's in a good spot and that while he's open to that, we've already got some guys that I think outside of the striker position are going to be our attack for the foreseeable future. And hopefully they continue to develop as they have because so far they've shown that at their best they can be very lethal and quite good. Uh, I can't not ask this. Daniel Roberts says, oh, you're only having half a turkey for Christmas. Um, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of jokes. I tick back, back any comments I made earlier, giving praise to your chat box and, your, and the community you've built. <laughs> They're a bunch of absolute hallions. <laughs> they are a unforgivable bunch, is how nah, I would describe the, the, the man, Some of the comments in there tonight, I haven't been. I think there was, remember the game myself, Andy and Mike played on this show with the, at the end of the day? That was the only other time yeah. I broke down and been so distracted during a podcast. And this, so this is a cl- annoyed I didn't pick up on that. I, <laughs> yeah, I was so annoyed that I never picked up on that game. That's oh, really irritating. But, yeah. <laughs> oh dear, it's just it just means that sweet revenge will be had at some point. And you, and as I said, then you will not know when it's coming, but it will it will come. And we'll, you've we'll, launched your minions on me. I think this is enough. I'm going to need a counselling <laughs> session after this. Wait, as soon as I said when he's got Drew on the podcast, they went for him on Twitter. So uh, it's a power that we hold it. Um, let's go to predictions before we wrap up. I mean, we'll start with you. Sunderland's League Cup scoreline and scorers, please. 
Uh, I'm going to go for actually quite a big win. I'm going to go for 4 0. And I think it's because, obviously, with the lack of European football this season, um, granted that it, that it goes ahead, um, I think we're going to see a pretty strong side. The, the likes of Nicola Pepe, maybe Eddie and Keria, El Nani. Um, I'm, I'm sure Sambi's going to still be out by that stage. But a relatively strong team given the circumstances and the opposition that we're going to be playing. Um, so I'm going to say that uh, to add more head scratching to the attacking. Um, you know, situation that we have at the minute, the, the selection situation where we're already trying to squeeze players in. I'm going to go for two for Pepe and uh, two for Nkadia. Fair enough. Alex? Um, I'm going to go for 3-0 Arsenal. Um, I'm going to go for Balogun. Uh, I'm going to go for mm. Patino. And I'm going to go for Cedric, because why not? <laughs> There's so many reasons why not. There's so many <laughs> reasons. <laughs> no, fair enough. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if any of the youth players get into the sides. Uh, we have got this big game on against Norwich that is, and as a Premier League game is a must win. If they will rotate, we'll see. I'm hopeful that Balogun will be in the team at least. I'd be surprised if if more of the youth are, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Jared. I think it's going to be a convincing win as well. I'm going to go 3-0 to the Arsenal. I like Inkedia for a brace. I think he's going to take advantage of getting a start and playing a full game up front. And like Alex, uh, I'm going to take Balogun to score one. I hope he gets in the lineup or at least gets a substitute appearance. I think it, he, he deserves more football than what he's getting. So this might be one of the few chances until we likely loan him out that uh, he, he can play with uh, some of the first team guys. And I will add to that, I think Cedric has a better chance of scoring an own goal than he does on their end, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see uh, if Cedric can indeed get on the score sheet. And he says 4-0, I think the subs will be up for it. Dan saying 3-0, Aubameyang, Hattrick and Leno getting sent off in the game. That would be quite a turn up for the books. I don't think we're going to see Aubameyang, mate. He's out of the side, it seems to, at least after the AFCON. Uh, King says 5 new Arsenal. Uh, Temi says 12 new Arsenal win. Smith Rowe Quartet and a Lukonga 40-yard strike. I'm loving the optimism. It's great. Uh, I'm going to go for, as again, I'm going to agree with Alex and say 3-0. Um, yeah, it'd be great if Ballard can get the score sheet. I feel like Nketi is going uh, to start the game, though, so I, I feel like he'll get a couple of goals. But uh, it's yeah, it's, hopefully it's not a banana skin of a game. Uh, is, is what it will be and hopefully we can kind of cruise through to the semi-final which there's supposedly the possibility may even only be a one-legged semi-final now because of all the the rescheduling that needs to happen so uh, we'll wait and see chat box will be going through plenty of your more of your predictions in tomorrow's preview show for the Sunderland game I'll be joined by some of the members to talk through their predicted lineups and their thoughts and feelings ahead of the game but do please give some love to my fantastic panel Owen thank you so much mate as always for coming on no, pleasure as always, buddy. Enjoyed it. And uh, again, up the dirt bikes. You can follow me on Twitter, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, uh, I don't young AFC where I talk about dirt, dirt bikes in depth and superhero movies. They're my, my, my <laughs> two specialities. Yeah. I mean, Twitter's such it, an awful place, man. Do you want to know what? I'm going to throw this I know, and I might do it again because earlier on, I, I threw out a tweet about something I'm sure you'll cover in some other show. But obviously, the incident where Rob Holding reported the racism, yeah. and I yeah. put a tweet out saying, Rob Holding was my man of the match. You don't have to be on the pitch, on the pitch to make an impact. And then my next tweet was, um, uh, Tommy Asu sitting on that idiot from Sky Sports's head, a Photoshop where the ball was. The one of Tommy Asu got like almost 250 likes and the one with Rob Holding got like 10. And this is the problem with Twitter. Yeah. Absolute idiots. 
yeah, I know. Yeah, we haven't, to be honest, we haven't covered that incident in enough detail. Um, time has gotten away, but just briefly on that, as always, and we do cover stuff like this very regularly on the channel. Unfortunately, it's regularly, but it's something that we do take very seriously. And uh, you have to say fair play to Rob Holding for calling it out. Uh, and hopefully, if the players are affected, they'll be getting the support that they need. And hopefully, what well, it seems like anyway, a Leeds fan was arrested, according to the Athletics. So that's positive that action's been taken. Um, and we see that this kind of thing diminishes, but it's uh, it's a real shame because it follows after, of course, that's back-to-back games now where Arsenal players have been subjected to racist abuse after, of course, the West Ham fans were videoed uh, throwing racist abuse towards the players too. So it's, it's worrying and it's hopefully something that's going to be continually battled against. Um, and uh, that's kind of as much as we can. So, as we always say, if you see it, film it, call people out, and uh, and get the people sorted out for it. Um, yeah, Alex, uh, thanks so much for coming on, mate, at last minute. I really appreciate your time, as always, and I'm sure we'll see you again soon. Tell people where they can find you. Um, you can find me, as always, in the uh, in the TGD Discord server, um, and you can find me tomorrow for the Arsenal-Sunderland preview yeah, show as well. Indeed. So, yeah. um, but, yeah, pleasure, pleasure, as, pleasure as always, guys. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I'll see you all some of you tomorrow anyway i hope absolutely yeah please do tune in it's a five i think i said five right alex i definitely said five five p.m tomorrow i can lose track of time these days five p.m tomorrow preview show. Yeah. <laughs> five p.m tomorrow is the preview show so do tune in for that uh and jared thank you as always mate really appreciate your time fella yeah pleasure as always great to talk with you guys uh you can find me on twitter uh down at the bottom there it's at jc underscore afc and also with owen and the boys having a good time over at the gooners pod periodically <laughs> i love that little little like we need to do more shows guys that's a, a passive aggressive jared there <laughs> i love that <laughs> come on mike sort out more shows nandy you, you know, got to get on a few you started this pod with mike you actually got to try and do some so fingers crossed we'll see uh i think andy's done more shows on here in 2021 than he's done on the gooners pod which is incredible scenes um, but no, do check out the boys on the Gooners pods and you'll be able to find Owen, Alex and Jared in the Discord because they're all part of it and they're all in there. So you can uh, get involved with the discussion. Uh, if you click the link in the description to join up as an expert member or as a TGT ambassador, then you can join our Discord server. If you're struggling to get through or you, the link's not working, do send me a message and I'll make sure to get a new one sent out. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8am as always talking about all the latest Arsenal news and as I said before I'll be joined by Alex again uh, and a couple of others of the members in the Discord to talk about the Sunderland game in even more detail. Do drop a like on the video, do subscribe if you're new and as always up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute all your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.